0: This is Pixelated Audio, Episode 118, Expansion Pack 24.
1: And welcome back to Pixelated Audio, a podcast focusing on game audio, its history, and the people behind it. We're your regular hosts. I'm Brian, and this is Gene. Hey, everybody. Yeah, and today we've got an episode that's another expansion pack. Uh, There's kind of some reasons behind it, but we think we have a really fun theme lined up for the day. So everybody knows we love
0: sports games on the show. And I figured, why don't we go a step further and cover celebrity sports games? In other words, games that were endorsed with a specific athlete or
1: famous celebrity type. Yeah, like you look at anything from like the mid to late 80s to the mid to late 90s. And there is a uh, and even now there's a lot of these celebrity titles coming out. Tiger Woods, I mean, very obvious example. But we went through a ton of different titles and went through their soundtracks and we're trying to find something that either we weren't familiar with there's a lot of obvious things that we could have chosen from with really great music but for this we wanted to kind of do what we do best and that's find really really obscure obscure stuff (laughs) well yeah but also something that you know maybe just not necessarily obscure but maybe just something that flew under the radar because it wasn't really that great of a game or Maybe it's not really that great of a celebrity to begin with. Some of the tracks that we have are from
0: composers we all know, but these sports games are so I don't know, not necessarily throwaway, but sometimes
1: you wouldn't expect to find them on there. So. They're a dime a dozen, Yeah right? I mean, how many of these sports games do you find in bargain bins? And well, yes, not as much anymore, but oh no, they're still there. They're just newer systems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. But the thing about these sports games is they were putting them out so rapidly, and a lot of the games are very much. Carbon copies of other existing games. Just, you know, the new athlete of this year who won the PGA, you know, tour, uh, it, you know, is this guy. And so we're going to just swap out some graphics and put him on the title and, and, now a brand new game so there there is a lot of that kind of regurgitation for um, getting these celebrity names you know licensed and put you know on the shelves I mean it's so. an easy way to sell some extra copies so I totally get why they do it in fact a lot of these
0: games were just rebranded with a different athlete or they had no branding and they're like well let's put
1: somebody famous for this region and then uh, sell br- a few extra copies The bingo because I noticed that a lot of the games that I chose were You know strictly like a golf game or you know a tennis game or something like that but depending on the region yeah you know if it was a european game and you know there's really hot european tennis player at the time then they would swap the title out change the change the um you know the title screen and there's your there's your multi-million dollar selling game well i don't know about that but (laughs) (laughs) well some
0: of them anyway but i think we both struck on the same thing so let's let's talk about that track that just brought us in yeah that was from Samba de amigo no, I'm just well I you know when when I first heard it I'm like that doesn't belong it was in a golf game this is Miyazato Miyoshi Kyodai Naizo Sega Golf Club which Brian you're gonna have to translate what that means but I think in this idea it's just saying like this guy with this his family yeah and so that, this, and that's about about it so the game was a japanese ps3 launch title it's the third release in the sega golf club series but this time they added the license for the miyazato family it's actually three pro golfers two brothers and a sister who i think i the sister no longer plays but the two brothers are still professional players Mm -hmm. so um they've won collectively quite a few tournaments together and it's pretty cool yeah 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 I, i don't know much about the game and i could not find a composer on this one couldn't find anything for any of the Sega Golf Club games, because they're just these like under-the-radar... like. Right. The first two were in arcades. Couldn't find any video clips, no credits on
1: anything. I had right. Brian look. It was really hard to find anything. Yeah, I turned up empty-handed as well. It's probably some studio gig. I mean, we can, we can always fall back and say it's, you know, some Sega. studio guys just, you know, gotten the...
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a Sega game, so it's probably one of their house guys, but it could be anybody. It was around
1: 2006, so... Yeah. Who knows? Anyways so these expansion packs if you've been listening to our show for a while you know how it kind of works out gene and i make what three or four picks each Mm -hmm. pick some stuff don't let each other know um gene happened to kind of look over (laughs) my stuff and i said gene no, you're breaking the rules and he does that a lot so um, i'm trying to you know tame him a little bit better but we pick three to four tracks and uh, we don't tell each other what we're gonna pick and we hope that we don't have collisions in some of the stuff. I uh, picked which, some backups just in case. Just in I case. always do for these uh, specific themed shows. Right. And that first one was kind of just a we collectively wanted to just bring that in. It was a fun track to start. It was short. It kind of worked out good for this episode because it didn't make any sense. So I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to apologize to you. We were planning on doing so this this episode. Let me kind of backtrack a little bit. We were planning on doing like two to three different episodes since then. We had them scheduled. We had them ready to go and um our research is all all done and we're we're just getting excited to record i got just completely wiped knocked out sickness pneumonia and i you know i'm kind of on the mend right now and um i i was bedridden and could not do anything for weeks and so it pushed back our recordings we had an interview schedule that got pushed back and um it's been a, a very nasty time of sickness so uh, hopefully I, I can make it to the end of this episode and um, you know next week we can get back on track but uh, do want to apologize for being a little bit delayed on this one and picking such kind of an easy one to is that yeah. is actually a lot more work than I thought but yeah um, same here I thought it was gonna be
0: a fun easy one where we could just come up with some really quick tracks it ended up being so interesting
1: I wanted to keep digging more so right. I found some really really uh, deep cuts yeah well Let's go ahead and get into our first track. Uh, Did you want to start off or do you want me to? I know you're starting off. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Um, So let's take a listen. This is from an artist we've heard from multiple times. In fact, we had him on the show, Matt Furness. Uh, This game was for the Atari ST, and I picked this because there's other versions that are really, really good. But it's called John Barnes European Football. And I heard the ST version. And I was just like, "Wow, this is this is really cool. It's it's really unique." And I think hearing something from Furnace, we haven't really heard much from uh, as far as the Atari ST goes. We did hear that squash game when we had him on. Um, uh, cons uh, yeah, 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 squash. <laughs> uh, I believe that was Atari ST. And then um, I, I found this, and I was like, "Crap!" Like another, you know, Furnace licensed. Celebrity sports title. It's yeah. let's take a list. It's really good. It was composed by Matt Furness. Came out in 1992 for the Atari ST. This is track one. So let's take a listen. We'll be right back. That was track one from John Barnes' European Football, composed by Matt Furness for the Atari ST. It's a groovy tune. It's a really good track,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't dig into the Atari ST probably as much as I could or should. It's one of those platforms that I always forget has actually some pretty good stuff on it. Yeah, it Not like, really I, does. Not like I don't like the music, but it's just sort of it doesn't come to mind as one of the first places to look.
1: There's a number of tracks that are just drop dead amazing, and I, I feel like this... Is just a, a very solid, fun track. It doesn't really sound that furnace like to me. Uh, probably one of the reasons why I liked it, just because, not that, I mean, look, I love Furnace's stuff, but it just was so different for me from some of the other stuff that we've heard before in the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, other people have posted in Discord and what have you. You know, we know his collection, we know his sound very well. And this has kind of a, a very, I don't, I want to say early furnace, but it's really not. It's 1992. So, oh, really? I yeah. I was, I was, you you said that at first, but somehow in my mind I was thinking in the '80s. And uh, this, of course, is using the YM2149. So we got three voices of you know square, and then we got the one noise channel. But it's pretty awesome. A little about the game. So it was released also on the Amiga and the Amiga CD32. I was gonna play one of the other ones. Mm-hmm. They're they're really good soundtracks, but this one just, just something a little bit different. So I wanted to stick with the Atari ST. It follows a lot of the same physics and play as Chrysalis' earlier game, Manchester United Europe, or Micro League Action Sports Soccer, which was released a year earlier in 1991. This particular game was released to coincide with the 1992 Euro Football Championships. Mm -hmm. So they really wanted to kind of get some extra cash in on this game. It does mirror a lot of that earlier title, and that's probably why they were able to rapidly get it out and you know we talked about
0: that before yeah, i mean sports games are often like that they'll either have something that they have that's unbranded and they'll slap a name on it or they have annual licenses so it totally makes sense that they would put something
1: out that kind of to coincide with a pretty big you know event yeah yeah yeah. and so i played the amiga version and i played the atari ST version both actually played really well mm-hmm. i i was surprised to find out it wasn't like a throwaway game it was actually pretty fun uh the only gripe i have is that there's a fixed camera and it's awfully tight. So hmm. you see a very small screen uh, or a very small window of the field, but it's also kind of a bonus, like like a good point for it because you can see a lot more of the handling and the techniques, the ball maneuvering and stuff sure. like that. Whereas if it were more zoomed out, if you had that really wide angle, then you might lose some of the, the more tactical play and it would be more of just a passing game. But, so you know.
0: Just so we're clear, We're talking American football or football in the European sense, like soccer? European
1: football. The game title is European football. Okay. Yeah, so it is soccer. Okay. Yes. Just want, you said passing, that doesn't tell me which sport. Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> good, good point, good point. Okay. Um, European soccer, so I thought that was clear enough, but apparently if that isn't clear, it is soccer team. There is a Canadian football league, and that is very similar to the American football, just... That doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, so yeah, like on the flip side, I was saying um, there's a lot more handling, um, and the game does feel very good. It's very nice controls, um, even on the... I was playing it through um, uh, an emulator, but it was felt really great so I had a lot of fun now for this episode we don't usually talk about like um like the sports celebrities and you know Gene mentioned earlier that you know we're big sports fans like sports games fans but we're actually not really sports fans (laughs) so well I mean I know the rules of football and baseball and and hockey well you've already beaten me because I don't know the rules of football at all (laughs) I don't I really don't I know there's like four yards to a down or what or four four downs to it I don't know something like that (laughs) I can figure it out, I guess. I just never watch it. I, that'll be a lecture for another day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but some of these celebrities are, are kind of interesting. So we looked into a little bit about their history and kind of And I ended up going down a bunch of different rabbit holes. So did I. Yeah, the the
0: theme was essentially we talk a little bit about the the game and also sort of one pretty interesting thing about the
1: athlete since we are talking about a celebrity. Yeah. Um, But again, I this episode was long and hard to research because I ended up going down numerous. Like, (laughs) so John Barnes, you know, he now retired. He was a Jamaican born soccer player, very successful in the 80s and 90s that moved to London at the age of 12. And when he was 17, he joined Watford Football Club, gained a lot of success there, and then joined Liverpool in 1987. So this guy was a huge, a huge success, a huge, uh, had a huge fan base, um, very interesting guy, Jamaican-born, and that's where I got into this weird, this weird um, kind of time paradox of research where I started going, like looking into other Jamaican-born soccer players. And, <laughs> and, and, and this guy, John Barnes, he's really interesting. So he kind of, gave up a little bit and he he's you know quit soccer to go do some some management and coaching and uh it turned out to be a flop so i guess he went to scotland to mm. or ireland or scotland to to do management or co- coaching and uh the Gig just didn't work out for him, so then he ended up going to uh, back to London and then went back to Jamaica to train their soccer team. But just really interesting. Like I was watching like some of their their soccer practices and stuff on like YouTube, and I was just like, wow, I have not done any research yet, and I'm just going down. This, I'm watching soccer
0: players. I try to be a little bit more in and out with my research, so I don't have as many deep dives on my
1: people, but I try to have like one pretty interesting fact. Well, I wasn't them. supposed to go that deep okay. into, this, into this guy, but anyways, uh, fun track, and I had a lot of. Fun Digging up the information, but also again, anything that Matt Furnace puts out is always awesome. It's always fun to listen to, and he has like really nice bounce to his composition style that I really like, even though this does kind of take me as maybe not so Furnace like, but uh, very cool track.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Not to Be Outdone by Brian. I also have a track from 1992 by a composer that we know. This is from Carl Lewis Challenge, composed by Chris Hulsbeck on oh, Amiga. Yeah, I'm glad you picked ST, so there's still going to be some rivalries. Some old, <laughs> some old British computer folks are going to be upset. We got ST versus Amiga. So
1: I know this track, and it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good one. So I'm, I'm glad you picked it. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's definitely a fun one. <laughs> right, let's, let's take a listen, and we'll be right back.
0: was the title theme from Carl Lewis Challenge on the Amiga from 1992, composed
1: by Chris Hulsbek. A very Hulsbek thing to do, and in a and a very Amiga sports thing to do. It's Oops. just over the top. 80s, it's a,
0: yeah. It's a cross, super pop cross between um, Chariots of Fire and like
1: classic 80s synth pop. So Hulsbek. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know the guy can't escape his. Style, I, I think he really has like a hint of Turkin in like everything he does. But that that's not a bad thing. It's you so know, fun. It, I really just fun, love that yeah. style. Yeah. I think the uh, towards the end there, when you hit this like grunge guitar, just this one like ground, <laughs> I like that, that a uh, little change of pace there. It's cool. This does remind me of pretty much every uh late 70s, early 80s movie that involves some kind of exercise or yeah. workout training montage
0: marathon whatever somebody crossing the finish line triumphantly basically it, it, yeah <laughs> uh, so i'm gonna go through the the facts real quick this was developed by tech london which mostly worked on sports games and conversions from the late 80s to about the late 90s its parent software company was also known as chrysalis i think it was exactly the same company that you were talking oh, about yeah, earlier chrysalis, yeah yeah And they also, the parent company lasted a few more years, I think, till the early 2000s, but they are now uh, defunct. Chris Hulsbeck, he is, he's been composing for about 30 years now, still composing actually here and there, not as much as he used to,
1: but definitely still See. A couple of new games with his name on it and he's overseeing a lot of like the concert projects that yeah uh, you know, uh, some of his old stuff you know he's flying all over the place and he's, driving his RV everywhere he's to, done
0: a few orchestral concerts of his work on Turrican and uh, what else is he's done like three or four of them right yeah yeah
1: yeah he's done like us uh, I think he did like a Sid anthology yeah that um, makes sense yeah or Amiga anthology he, he did a bunch of like anthology albums in fact we had him on for our Jim Power episode. Episode 53. I have that in my notes. Yeah, yeah. 53. And um, we still owe that guy a, um, a Mexican Coca-Cola. Oh. With, with real sugar. Oh, that I didn't remember thing. him.
2: Uh, yeah, I'll I just haven't seen that. him.
1: So, like, I, I got to <laughs> next time track him down and it'd be like, here, dude, remember, like, three years ago, I owed you this. And so, but anyways, really cool guy. Nice, very nice uh, music style. I really like everything he puts out. And this track was just a lot of fun. Was this... Um, like pro tracker or is this using his own it's using his amiga format which is i think the one that has seven channels yeah the yeah
2: tfx
0: yeah. or yep. tmfx or whatever yep. it was yeah. so let me get through the game real quick and uh, our athlete of athlete de jour <laughs> so it's <Sure. laughs> the amiga game is named after the american olympic track and field star carl lewis it's about competing in track and field events like the long jump javelin sprints that sort of thing you there are two parts to the game the first is training your squad using spreadsheets quite literally to modify the training regimens like this person's going to be doing a little bit more aerobic exercise not super exciting the second half is timed events where you run or jump or throw so you have this little meter that kind of goes back and forth and you time it when it gets to one side or the other to like move your legs Mm -hmm. it doesn't look really that sounds like they needed to add the the power pad for for this one yeah it's almost like the spreadsheet stuff made the game I don't know. I I saw some (laughs) video of it. It looked really, really boring. Oh, man. But um, Carl Lewis is a really, he's probably not as well known these days, but I remember hearing his name a lot. I I was going to say, this is actually probably one of the few people in this episode that I know. So he's won nine Olympic gold medals and one silver. He's set world records in the 100 meter dash, 800 meter, and 400 meter relays, and he holds the world record for the indoor long jump, which has stood since 1984. He's one of only three Olympic athletes who won a gold medal in the same individual event in four consecutive Olympic games. That's really impressive. If you think about, people are often starting the Olympics at like 18. Yeah. Four Olympic games. What's that? 12 years if you count the very first one so by then you're 30 competing against 18 year olds i'm sure his like knees are just about ready to give out (laughs) at that point right yeah and in this case it was the long jump where he won in 84 88 92 and 96 so uh he's had some small controversies over the years about doping and whatnot but uh apparently years later it was found that his he he was below the limit of what would be considered today, so it was a huge scandal because these athletes are under a ton of scrutiny. Right, So right. I, I understand why there would be that kind of stress. Yeah. And just recently, he is actually an assistant track coach at his alma mater,
1: the University of Houston. So continuing to pay it forward. Nice, nice. Back to the doping thing. I I, I would be very surprised if anybody on this list wasn't doping because these guys are all like amazing athletes, and some of it's like. A little bit. Mm, I think there's there's probably some scandals behind all of them. I don't
0: know. You know, I don't want to draw too strong of a conclusion. I mean, there's so much pressure. There are there are sponsorships. There are fans. It is very very stressful at the top when you have got this much scrutiny on you. Oh, from I the was media. Ta- I was talking about the composers. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> yeah. just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> saying like I yeah, I, know, I know it's I know. it's a really really hard thing to have like a definitive like pure. There's peer pressure. There's so many reasons why I totally have a lot of sympathy for the athletes that
1: are competing at these levels right oh totally totally agree anyways you ready to move on (laughs) i'm ready to move on yeah okay so so we went from the atari st to the amiga and we're going to jump ahead yet again to the amiga cd32 and this is from a game called nick faldo's championship golf this is the title theme and it was composed by andy mcginty Right. That was the title of Nick Faldo's Championship Golf, composed by Andy McGinty, for the Amiga CD32, developed by Arc Developments and published by Grand Slam. I mean, That's I a smooth jam, smooth jam. Um, the horns are a little bit. I don't know what that sample is all about, but uh, I, I really liked it. I thought it was um, nice, mellow, fit the golf vibe a little bit. Um, not as powerful as you know, a uh, 64 DD would have been, but you know. <laughs> You know how we love our golf
0: games on this show. Yep. It's definitely got that, like, I actually would have picked that out for a menu track. It's got enough going on in the background that you can sort of tune it out if you want to, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. The menu track is a little bit more subdued, even, on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you want to hear just a little splash of it? Yeah, let's hear a few seconds of that. Oh.
0: Yeah, it's like a nice stripped down version of the same track. Yeah.
1: Doesn't really go anywhere from here, but I like it. No, it works. It's a cool track. Anyways, the game is actually a lot of fun. So if you've never played it before, this is actually one of the stronger golf games on the system. It's probably third to Sensible Golf and PGA Euro Tour because Sensible Golf, like, I'm a huge fan. It's not really that serious. This is more of like a golf simulator, kind yeah. of Hot shot style. But yeah, this one's excellent. The controls a bit different, say, than Hot Shots because you pick your power up front before the swing, and then you have to click within this range determined by how much power you have. So it's mm-hmm. like this meter that is predetermined by how much power you want to to give the swing, right? And then after you click that, the desired power, then it gives you like this kind of crosshair. Oh, hair. so it's like a fine tune kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, you get this bonus power or, or wrist snap, if you will, to um, get a little extra, you know, bonus yards or whatever in your, in your swing. You know, it's it's a little strange, but timing works out pretty good if you get the hang of it. I really like this game. I thought it looks great. The graphics are incredible, even on the OCS or the ECS. It looks spectacular hmm. on the CD Thirty Two, though. Very nice color blending. Uh, I feel like there's a, a lot more overall clarity. Uh, but on the Amiga, it was originally for the Amiga. The the soundtracks are actually identical. So. Real quick, going back to the composer. So Andy McGinty, he is an Irish composer and sound designer that was one of the main composers at Arc Developments alongside Mark Cooksey. You might recognize his name from Johnny Bazooka Tone for the PS1, 3DO, Sega Saturn, and DOS, but he got his humble start on McDonaldland for the Amiga in 1992 and directly after that worked on Nick Faldo's Golf. He's uh, worked on a few other titles, WWF European Rampage Tour for the Amiga, Atari ST, and DOS, BART versus The World for the Amiga, Atari ST, Game Gear, and Sega Master System, uh, Terminator 2 for the Game Gear and Master System, Network Q Rally for the Super Nintendo, Hurricanes, his only Mega Drive soundtrack, and then World Cup Golf for the CDI. Uh, his primary weapon of choice was Pro Tracker, kind of like what we're hearing today. Mm-hmm. This is all a Pro Tracker stuff. I'm playing it through OpenMPT. And um, that's why you're getting a nice blending effect, not just hard panned left and right. Um, but sadly, he's no longer writing music, with his last title being Ultimate Soccer Manager in 1998 for Windows. He's one of these composers that I
0: really only stumbled across as a result of research for this show. I feel like he's kind of... For Johnny Bazooka Tone? Yeah, Johnny Bazooka Tone kind of came up when we were looking at potential 3DO stuff. There are a few good tunes in there, but overall the soundtrack's just so-so. It got actually
1: raving reviews for its soundtrack.
0: Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, a little dated. There's some some 90s synths uh, at the time. But I had to say, it seems like he's a guy who's holding it down with
1: good work, just kind of
0: doing the job.
1: Yeah. Nothing I, to complain about, for sure, especially with this track. Yeah, and I was doing, like, web development and other kind of custom solutions. I found him on LinkedIn, and he was, you know, yeah. just doing whatever a retired composer does. Live life to its fullest, I guess. <laughs> uh, but the interesting thing here is when it was ported over to the Amiga CD32, it says it was ported by Matt Simmons format. Yeah. And I don't know if that's actually the case because I don't see his name on any of the tracker files. Hmm. But maybe he did the the conversion or the, for the music. Yeah, 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 that's what it said. It said hmm. for the music. So, but I mean the tracks. From the Amiga version and the CD32 version are identical. So I, I'm not sure exactly what his contribution was, but it's cool. Nice mellow track. And um, a little bit about Nick Faldo before I forget, because um, I already did. <laughs> he was an English pro golfer that turned pro in 1976. I believe he was 19 years old. And he had nine wins in the PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. He's won more major golf championships than any other player from the continent of Europe since World War I. Apparently, there was somebody else prior to World War I. Uh, But Faldo was named the PGA Tour Player of the Year in 1990 and the European Tour Player of the Year in 1989, 1990, 1992. And he's won 29 European Tour titles pretty impressive yeah he's still playing golf today apparently he's got to be in his late 60s by now golf has a really long-tailed
0: career i've seen some of these golfers have 30 40 year long careers they don't have to but some of the ones that still
1: play because if you have have good technique you can be like a million years old and still play golf You know what I mean? Or he could be a million years old and still do a VGM podcast. Yeah. He might be doing this for a while. But uh, (laughs) yeah, no, he's still playing today a little bit. He's not really active in like the major tours or anything like that. That's pretty common. He's mostly doing commentary and uh, analysis on TV as like, you know, one of the, you know, ESPN sports rooms. Yeah. The sports caster, sports commentators. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Kind of like that. So yeah, still doing his thing. But uh, the real hero here is Andy McGinty (laughs) for this track. (laughs) cool track
0: so moving on we have our next logical progression this is jimmy white's cue ball pool game for the game boy color and this is the bgm1 composed by manfred lindsner was bgm1 from jimmy white's cue ball for the game boy color
1: composed by manfred linsner in the year 2000 it's a really great track and i would expect nothing less from linsner he's got such a groovy style to his stuff or it's really really fast and like frantic awesome so um this is a really nice kind of laid-back track i mean i guess it works for jimmy white's cue ball Uh, yeah i can definitely see it sort of droning on in the background as i'm lining up the perfect shot yeah really crunchy bass i like the uh, the arps uh, kind of accompanying everything it really fills out the track and gives it this just meat behind it that's it's really nice for you know a Game Boy track then that melodic
0: figure is just so catchy right? yeah in like, those i love arpeggiated chords in that european style yeah sort yeah. of like washing
1: kind of fading away in the background sort of thing yes and this is on vgm rips and it's big shout out to Harma devil for um, you know ripping this and putting the pack up online because you know somebody had to do it it's a great album i i say that a lot great album for yeah. a game but yeah that's how <laughs> i think of it i guess so uh, it's a really great soundtrack so yeah thanks for putting that up Well, let me talk a little bit about manfred lindsner before we move on so he
0: started in the demo scene under the handle of pink and worked with the group abyss i i
1: want to stop you for a second oh yeah listen to uh a lot of our um impulse project episodes we've talked about the guy a ton so he's he has a really (laughs) rich demo scene
0: background he does if that wasn't clear from the track you just heard that sort of classic european computer thing i think He's one of these composers, if he had been just a few years earlier, he'd probably get talked about a little bit more. I, I think so, too. I mean, his music's great. Absolutely everything I've heard from him has been awesome. Yeah, and he's still very active. He today. is. Yeah, He. so I was going to actually go on. One of the things that's interesting is Abyss went on to found the game company Sheen N Multimedia, where Lindner continues to work as anything from producer, composer, designer, graphics artist, sometimes a little bit. I don't think he does the graphics as much. But he's done all of those things and has written music for a number of games, including Iridian 3D and Iridian 2, Nano Stray 1 and 2, and the F Zero spiritual successors, Fast Racing Neo and Fast RMX.
1: Right. So, just a little background um, and a little, I guess, spilling the beans. We actually were going to have him on for an interview for Fast Racing Neo when it came out mm-hmm. on Switch. It was like one of the launch titles. It was one of a the launch. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 2017, I think. And, um, he was so busy with stuff that was going on because they had just released the game, or mm-hmm. they, I think they were just about to. That um, we had to put it on hold. And um, to be quite honest, I forgot. And so <laughs> now we gotta we gotta get him back on because uh, we gotta get him back uh, in the in the loop to to get him on because the guy's a really he's an interesting individual, and I'm I'm very curious to hear his his thoughts and his story about how he got where he is because you know up until this point all we know is from his music, which is incredible. Again.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear it straight from the guy because he's been involved in so many different aspects of development, which is very common of demo scene folks. Yeah. So I'd love to hear
1: his story. Now, and, me- and the fact that he's still doing it, I think, is another just a big thing, right? Yeah. A lot of the demo scene crowd has either they still do demo scene work because they're, you know, it's a hobby on the side and, they you know, they work at a, a paper factory on the on the weekdays. But, <laughs> I, I mean, he is actually still continuing this as part of his job. And that's a pretty awesome thing.
2: Yeah.
0: Let me breeze through a few more quick facts.
1: The developer of this is Vicarious
0: Visions. They were founded in 1994. They're an American company, and they're still making games. I love that name, Vicarious Visions. It almost implies, like, we're going to ghost develop games for you, like, in the background. Uh, But they've done a lot of stuff recently, including a lot of the games in the Skylander series. Destiny 2, they did some work on, and probably most famously, their work on Crash Team Racing and the Crash Bandicoot Trilogy remasters that just came out in the last few years. So... They're a pretty active game developer. Right. And now moving on, Jimmy White's Q-Ball is actually based off of the original Windows game called Jimmy White's 2 Q-Ball. This was apparently an earlier version for Amiga, ST, and whatnot, 91. So this guy's had a few games based on him. This Game Boy Color version is a downport, features a new soundtrack. It's got a top-down bird's-eye view. I think that's probably
1: one of the only ways you'd be able to play pool yeah. on a Game Boy Color. yeah. There was a, well, there was, like, side pocket and stuff for Game Boy, I think, that had more it? of a... Yeah, but I, I, I get your point. Like, a top-down view makes the most sense for the Game Boy, so... The
0: original version was more of a first-person view, as if you're, like, kind of aiming the cue and, and... Exactly, yeah. Which, it would not work really well on the Game Boy Color. So, about Jimmy White, he is an English professional Snooker player, and I had to look this up. Snooker is a variant of Pool, which is played with mostly pink numberless balls, I don't know the rules beyond that, but there's about 22 on in play at a time. That's
1: about all I know about it. All I know is kind of like pool, but not.
0: Yeah. Uh, the same kind of techniques apply. It's a little bit more in the mind games because it's a, different from billiards and pool. Billiards, by the way, is an entirely separate game, which exactly. I didn't look into that either. And he was nicknamed the Whirlwind because of his fluid attacking style of play. He's one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that. Right. I love that nickname. Uh, he was, actually the first game was called Jimmy White's Whirlwind Snooker, the one mm. from 91. Huh. He won two of Snooker's three majors, the Masters in 1984 and the UK Championships in 1992, and a total of 10 ranking events. He's reached the World Championship Finals six times, but has never actually won. And he's spent 21 seasons ranked in Snooker's Elite Top 16 and is currently ranked at 10th all-time Snooker player. He's he's definitely one of these people. We have a lot of people on the list who aren't necessarily the best of the best, but they either have a little bit more of an interesting personality, yeah, personality, yeah, so that they can kind of brand a game around them. I I've I've kind of found this about a few of the people that I dug. This is the weirdest piece of trivia that I found on his Wikipedia. In the late 1990s, White's bull terrier Splinter was dognapped and held for ransom. Splinter became the first dog to have a color poster on the front of the Times, a UK newspaper, and White paid the ransom, and Splinter was returned to him, and the dog went on to live for another three years. Wow. Yeah, it was just That is a the weird weirdest thing, thing <laughs> I've ever heard. That's, I, that's, why would, that's horrible. Because
1: the dude has money. And it's I know, like, but You can't still. take the, his kids, right? So <laughs> take a dog. That is, I, I can't even imagine Poor how Jimmy. crazy that would have been. Yeah, what an ordeal. <laughs> however jimmy white i've seen his games before so i was kind of thinking maybe you might pick something because i wasn't going to mm-hmm. but like this is a great track i'm glad you did I'm glad you picked it yeah love yeah. lindsner i definitely want to have more of his stuff on the show in the future pretty cool stuff um the game itself though apparently it's just kind of mediocre it's right? just like an average pool game for my per- it's got the usual you mean snooker game
0: well it has conventional pool and snooker eight ball nine ball i think there's oh you can do it all yeah this it's just add play play how you want you get to pick your characters but it doesn't really matter that much because you never really see them except for when you pick them out
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right you ready to move on i am it's on you now what's up next okay so uh this is a composer i couldn't find actually oh Um, it's a it's a track from um a game that um i know very little about and um, I actually don't really care to know much more um, than I (laughs) I researched, It's Sean Johnson's Gymnastics. And this was released for the Nintendo DSi as their DSiWare. This was released in 2011. I have some sources that say 2010, but I think 2011 is kind of the the majority. So Mm -hmm. let's go with that. Again, I don't have a composer, but it was published by Zoo Games. So let's take a listen and we'll be right back. That was the menu music from Sean Johnson's Gymnastics for the Nintendo DSi, uh, released in 2011, and I do not know a composer, so just anybody. That was a slick track. I know. I was Pick your Yamaha that. keyboard, and uh, we'll just say that that was a demo track on there. But no, this is a really smooth. It's not a very exciting track, but it's so um, so mellow, so chill, and uh, I just it, it was a strange game, and um, I just came across this and was wanting to put in the show. Definitely took the wind out of my sails a bit. I
0: have a track kind of like this picked out, but I I knew I would I need to counter use. So I have a different one instead, <laughs> which okay. I'm gonna disappoint everybody here who wanted to hear me talk about Gary Kasparov
1: and virtual Kasparov. But check it <laughs> out yourself. There's some good tunes in there. Uh, we'll get back to it again. Suzu <laughs> um, so Games Inc. It was a company based in Delaware, New York, starting in 2007, and uh, they started off as green screen Interactive Software. It was initially founded by Ryan Brandt and Mark Sarament, hmm. uh, the founders of Take-Two Interactive. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know those guys. Yeah. Sarament also co-founded Paragon Software Corporation and also Susan Cummings. The idea of the company was to handle both AAA titles and casual kind of throwaway games. And um, a common story. Yeah. Unfortunately, they just kind of fell on the lazy kind of casual game mm. style thing and most of the stuff they put out was kind of shovel wary um they only lasted from 2007 to 2012 but some of the amazing titles you might remember uh them from are calvin tucker's redneck jamboree yeah uh, classic all time all time uh, chrysler classic racing uh dealer no deal dream salon and Eminem's beach party i'm pretty sure i have all <laughs> of those games at home right now I... If you don't, you need to add them to your collection. <laughs> yeah, it's just a really bad game. I was really wanting to trade. I didn't I didn't actually play it. Um, I was looking at different screenshots, and um, I was watching some gameplay videos. And the game, even though it revolves around gymnastics, the game itself is really just tracing lines. It, it really is. It's hmm. literally yeah, tracing makes... one line, connect the dots, and um, move to the next line and connect the dots. There's no... Button mashing Olympic-style thing that you would expect to, you know, like Mario and Sonic Olympic Games or something like that. It doesn't have like a mini-game aspect to it. It's really like this, you know, can you draw a straight line or, you know, with the right timing or can you not? Uh, well, it's, it's bad. You know, I I kind of get it
0: because at least with the shovelware games, you have to have this sort of simplified uh, representation of the sport, and it's, if you're gonna make it low stress, hopefully. You
1: found something i don't know if that's actually a fun thing to do this looks really bad though man like this Eh. looks really really bad in fact i was looking for any reviews i could find on it nintendo life actually which is a really great website if you're into nintendo they give it their worst rating possible a one out of ten so <laughs> okay. it was like abysmal it was just like a really really bad uh, so it's um, a really just lazy poorly designed poorly executed and poorly programmed title now there's a few interesting tracks in there there's like a national anthem which is a little bit on the weak side then there is this really weird like hip-hop kind of fake hip-hop song in there that Mm -hmm. i really didn't want to subject everybody to it wasn't that great but then this one was really mellow and just i don't know fit my mood i was looking at this like at midnight like the other night and so i was just like "Mm, okay yeah i like this one i'm kind of glad you picked it because it's definitely something that i think we don't give enough credit to the people that have to do the kind of crap work yeah do
0: the music for these sorts of games i wish i
1: could have found the, the composer in fact he probably or she probably didn't want to have their name on this title just you know, in association. Very likely. Yeah. Sean Johnson though is an American artistic gymnast. I I don't know if you're familiar with artistic gymnastics. Not that's sort of more acrobatic, not acrobatic, but it's a little bit more, um, showy. Yes, exactly. So the less doing the, um, gymnastic maneuvers and more focus on the kind of presentation and like the dance and um, almost ballet aspect to it. And so uh, there is a a huge following and it's actually one of the biggest crowd drawing events in the um, Olympics and other major world games. So very well known American gymnast. And uh, she was really, really big in 2008 because she got the uh, 2008 she got a gold Uh, metal. I remember seeing on the TV all the time. Yeah, Yeah. she was like, people loved her and she was very, I I guess, had a very sweet demeanor and um, just came across as a very personable um, human to talk to on like talk shows and stuff like that. 2008. I don't think I was in the country then, so I don't remember, but Johnson is also a five-time Pan American Games gold medalist, winning the team's titles in 2007 and 2011, as well as the titles in the all-around, uneven bars, and balance beam in 2007. I just want to take a moment to say that when we talk about these accomplishments out of context, it sounds like oh, pretty cool.
0: You have to remember that these people are operating at the highest levels. Of, these are of like the
1: superhumans <laughs> of of people. I mean, these I are mean,
0: when we were talking about Carl Lewis. I mean, breaking world records, holding records for 30 years all of these people well maybe not Jimmy White as much but (laughs) all of these people are just amazing and definitely deserve these endorsements I think it's kind of it's been really cool to actually dig into the history of some of these
1: athletes and a lot you know like again we're not really big sports people I'm I can totally get behind him when I'm watching but like I just don't I I just never keep getting drawn into the thing like American football like I just my my dad wasn't into it so i I think it just kind of trickled down to me that I didn't get into it. Uh, None of my friends were into it, really. So, like, and where I grew up wasn't a football town. So, like, that's one of the reasons. I did get into soccer pretty... Heavily, and I followed a lot. I still watch, you know, mm-hmm. matches and stuff, but I don't know like the, the players very well or anything like that. So
0: I think if it's not your local sports teams, it's pretty much just like the Olympics that exactly. a lot of people are
1: into. If you're not already into sports to begin with, right? Like, I'm really into the the Warriors and, and, um, you know, our awesome hockey team, you know, but the Sharks, they, they, yeah, I know, I know, but <laughs> yeah. like, I, no, I, no, I mean, I mean, i trust me, I've been a Sharks fan pretty much my whole life,
0: and they're just so, they're almost. Amazing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) They're almost (laughs) almost always, almost amazing. Um, But going to like a game or something is always fun. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's always a blast, especially hockey because it's not blazing hot. It's nice and cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Anytime that they're playing, pretty much. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that being said, it was fun going through some of these athletes and learning a little bit more. And I want to say the same thing about the composers. You know, like these guys are, uh, a lot of them are are writing music at just, you know, such a high ability that I could just never attain that i I think that's one of the reasons my fascination for game audio is just so high you know so yeah it's been it's been a
0: lot of fun especially seeing composers whose names we recognize in sort of a context people don't normally point them out for right 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 all right so moving on what do we got next so this is from anna kornikova's smash court tennis for the ps1 in 1998 i don't have an exact composer didn't cause... we
1: just talk about anna kornikova
0: like a few episodes ago did we if we did yeah we were talking about tennis and golf and it all kind of got intermingled you know what really
1: surprised me It was like andre me? agassi and anna kornikova
0: yeah what surprised me was how long ago her professional career was i thought it was just like 10 years ago she stopped playing in 2002 or 2003 what no yeah, really yeah really she played from like 95 to 2003 man i feel old We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that after we play the next track. So here is a drum and bass track. I don't have the name of it because in the files, they were all just sort of generic numeric tracks. So take a listen and we'll be right back. Alright, that was a drum and bass track from Anna Kornikova's Smash Court Tennis for the PS1 released in 1998. List of composers is very long and I'm not going to bore you with it, but it's the Namco sound team. Okay, it just comes together real well. It's really fun to listen to. It's not that long either. No, no, it's like a minute 40. You know what I really love about drum and bass from this era is, especially Japanese drum and bass, it's kind of... The hard edges have been smoothed over a little bit from the early jungle stuff, so it's a little bit more reined in. There's a lot more of these soft pads. Has this very nice texture. Like there's a lot of heavy elements, but you can listen to it without it feeling like it's just overwhelming. See,
1: I feel like the kind kind of on the boat with the pads, but I feel like it's also there's a lot of reverb mm-hmm. on the the bass and maybe the snare. So you get this really kind of almost open sounding, almost like you're in a like a, a basketball you know, gym gymnasium <laughs> or something. No, seriously though, getting this really nice, I guess, lush echo yeah you know, sound. And so And that's what nice. I mean.
0: That effect is definitely a few years after the early stuff, which is like here's the raw sample, aggressive head pounding, really harsh stuff. And I like that too, but sometimes I just like something a
1: little more mellow. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm surprised you picked from this game. I thought you would maybe do some I, I mean, I played this and so um I'm not that unfamiliar with the title. I don't remember it that much, but, Mm -hmm. um, I'm surprised you picked this track. Why did you, why did you go with this game? Uh,
0: you know, I was digging around in, I think it was Josh W looking for tennis or something like that. And her name popped up and I'm like, ah, I forgot that that actually came out. turns out that this is actually part of the smash court series. Oh no. I actually remember how I was looking for it. There was a different tennis player, Roland Garros, who had a 2005 version, still using the same engine, so I was looking for Smash Court Tennis, and like, I didn't know that there was a previous game where Anna Kornikova was the sponsored uh, athlete, so I dug into it and it's like classic, late 90s Namco music, and that's that's who developed the game. Right. You, if, if you guys know Namco, they a lot of times had the folks who went by sampling masters um shinji hosoe right. is one of them a lot of drum and bass a lot of that kind of style of music and i'm just very drawn to it i mean i'm of a certain age so
2: it, it, right you
0: know but yeah it, it's, i'm right there with you. Man. it was essentially a rebranded japanese sports game that they put athletes on so there's nothing specific about this that was uh anacornicova-esque not really in the japanese version it's just called smash court 2 And um, you can unlock characters like Haihachi in it. So it's not really a
1: serious tennis game. Right, right, right. No, it makes sense because, like, you know, again, this kind of goes back to what we were saying in the beginning of the episode where, you know, these games were rebranded because of who was popular at the time. Mm -hmm. And that just is a testament to the era, right, that Anna Kornikova was huge in the, uh, wow, I still can't believe, the (laughs) 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, they were like, you know, we got a PlayStation game coming out. How are we going to sell it? Let's put her picture on the cover. I want to get into this because this was so mind-blowing
0: when I read about Anna Kornikova. So she's a Russian former professional tennis player. She's one of the most well-known tennis players worldwide to the fact that like we both thought of her when we were just thinking of random athletes in some of our earlier episodes. But she really only played from about 1995 to 2003 professionally. Almost really? every yeah, almost every one of these other athletes we've talked about has had like 10, 15-year careers. Hers was less than 10 years long. Wow. Why is that? I mean, I mean she, she suffered a lot of injuries, as it turns out. Uh, towards the 2001-2002 season, she started to have uh, back issues, sciatica, um, sli- uh, not slip disc, but a, uh, she had a herniated disc, uh, spine problems. So by the end, I think it was just sort of getting increasingly was, painful to play.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. It's too bad because she kind of just fell off the map. I mean, I remember she was really popular and very good athlete. And I'm I'm sad that that's how it turned out. But, yeah. What's interesting about that is she never actually reached number one in
0: singles. She was actually only ever number eight, which is still really impressive. Right. But where she shined was apparently doubles. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing a number of doubles matches because can... that was her forte. And she definitely reached number one in doubles matches. Oh, no kidding. So, I mean... The way I'm sure that works is the sort of collective score is averaged out. And number of games won, different partners, different players. So it doesn't surprise me that she was so famous because doubles
1: are really interesting. They're fun games to watch if you've never seen them. They're a lot more intense. Very because, dynamic, yeah. Yeah, so I guess we're going to keep with the, uh, the tradition of tennis moving into the next game. Are you ready to move on? I am. All right. So uh, we're going to jump ship to the Super Nintendo here. And this is a track from jimmy connor's pro tennis tour Hmm. and yeah i i kind of wasn't digging the soundtrack that much at first but it actually kind of grew on me and there's a few reasons why so let's listen to this is the win tournament track let's take a listen we'll be right back Right, that was Win Tournament from Jimmy Connors Pro Tennis Tour for the Super Nintendo, released in 1992, and composed by Roger Goad. You know that one was uh was a little bit shonky. The samples? It, it totally was. But it totally I actually like the
0: composition pretty pretty well. At first, I was expecting it to be looping the same thing for like 20 seconds and then kind of. Right. I know.
1: I was. That's why at first I wasn't going to put it in this track at all. And then the more I heard it, I was like, hey, you know what? I, re- I kind of like this. You know, the. The um, chords, those very powerful, um, almost like elongated orc hits, are just, yeah. they're a little bit dissonant and they're a little bit detuned. It sounds like they're, you know, kind of bending down the wrong way. I just, it doesn't strike me as like what I would normally like, but I do like where the track goes. And I think that that's kind of what held me having that, that da-da-da-da. And I, I, I don't know, I just had a lot of fun listening to it there's Totally a few other, with you on that Yeah, there's a few other good tracks um, in here Nothing groundbreaking, but uh, a lot of fun Yeah, so who did you say wrote this? Roger Goad It's not a name I know that well You probably wouldn't I, I think he is a, uh, I want to say he's a German composer I'm not sure, there, I don't have any information on him Other than that he has done uh, Der Planner And Geheim Project, DMSO, Railway Challenge, and Jimmy Connors Pro Tennis Tour. Other than that, uh, there's nothing Hmm. that I could find. So it might have just been in the scene for uh, what, two years and then got out. But um, I mean, he's clearly in the credits. So I mean, this Uh, was was him. Yeah, I mean, around those days, it was really common for people to just kind of be in and out from making music for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, sure. So I didn't look too deeply into it, but what I did find, it was just those four titles and then he did some QA for Das Kelleckminder Kirk Zeruk. So... Sounds like a German guy for sure. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, the game itself is actually not too bad. Um, I was very surprised that it plays pretty well. You have to... Um, I, I mean, it's just like any other tennis game in, you know, in what you're doing. It's basically Pong, right? But if you move your character there's kind of like this little square that shows up on the on the court and that's where the ball is going to be and where the mm-hmm. player needs to be and so you can kind of time stuff out the game isn't incredibly challenging it really comes down to learning the timing of where the ball is and how it's you know like where in relation to your character and where you are gonna have to swing or when you're gonna have to swing so um it's a little challenging in that regard but you know after you learn the timing and stuff within you know 10 minutes i had it down in fact um, I was actually more impressed I, and so I played the Super Nintendo version first I was more sure. impressed by the Lynx version this was also released um, for the Amiga C64 Atari ST uh, ZX Spectrum, DOS and then Lynx in 1993 and so I was like okay the Lynx let's, yeah. yeah let's try it you know because um, there's some stuff like I've been wanting to put an episode together for Lynx for a while now there's not really a good logged format for Lynx music. It's um, using the Mikey chip, which is kind of like, um, it was done by the same uh, developer as the um, the Paula. Mm-hmm. So if you are familiar with how that chip works, it's kind of the same thing. It's like these small PCM samples, four different channels. And so it's not really a good like logging format yet. So it would have to be through emulation or hardware recording and this oh. track that I, I do you mind if i play it a little yeah, bit of this track no, there's no audio out on the links is there i think that's one of the reasons why the well no the links 1 actually had mono output and the links 2 had stereo output but it's still going to take some work to get this to work but sure. uh, um, we'll listen to like it through an emulator through handy which is like the best mm-hmm. atari um, links emulator i used it a little bit it's actually pretty good but i don't know how accurate the audio is cuz i have no the, frame of reference the audio is okay it's not the best, but it's the best you're going to get. And so I do want to hear a little bit. Definitely. The the sound is actually really fun. Let's take a listen.
0: Yeah, it's really good, huh? Yeah. It, I, I should have played that, actually, instead. I, I so. remember finding a really good track from, I think, Battlezone on the Lynx, so I'm definitely with you that we should try to find a way to make that show happen. Yeah, this was
1: composed um, by different artists. Um, this is composed by Paul Tung. And, uh, That's the Lynx guy. I know that name, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> he was a British video game musician, good friends with Tony Williams, um, and he was part of Tony's company, Sound Images, uh, for really really long time um i found this information on vgmpf but he's done a ton of amiga and c64 games he did power factor for Lynx, just a lot of good stuff he also did spider-man and venom for super nintendo genesis oh, nice. those were good yeah cutthroat island for super nes the rugrats movie for game boy game Boy color and smash tv for amiga so i mean oh, hey. he, he's done a lot of stuff there's probably about 30 to 40 games he's worked on i think and um Again, I didn't do too much research because I wasn't sure if I was going to play this track or not. But yeah, it's just a fun Lynx track. Yeah. He's another one of these composers
0: that I always sort of find next to another name that I'm a little bit more familiar R- with. Right,
1: right, right. But I know he's actually pretty good. I need to listen to this stuff a little bit more. Yeah, we should. And we should definitely do a Lynx episode. Oh, yeah. If you can figure out a good way to, <laughs> to do it. But I got to say, the Lynx version, the speech synthesis with the speech samples are flipping awesome. They're really good. I mean, Jimmy Connors is on there and he says like, "Let's play tennis." Like, you hear that every match on Lantz version. <laughs> like, and it's very clear, very clean. It's one of the best speech synthesizers, I guess, for or, you know, audio samples that you can hear on any of the um other machines of that era you know like it's really good on the atari Lynx, and it was like one place where it really shined. so you see games really like utilize that um that speech um on um, for the the sound output so
0: yeah, well, hopefully really good. this is foreshadowing for a lynx show but if not just ignore this whole conversation
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it was jimmy connor's uh american professional tennis player ranked number one uh, that held the top atp ranking for 160 consecutive weeks Retired in 1996, but uh, Connor still holds the prominent Open-era men's singles records, 109 titles, 1,556 matches played, and 1,274 matches wins. Wow. Yeah, his titles include eight majors, the five U.S. Open, two Wimbledon, two Australian Opens, and three year-end championships. Um, The guy is a a beast. He's been doing tennis forever, and he still plays... Every now and then, I guess, yeah. I feel like I've heard the name a little bit. Yeah, he does every like now and again. Tennis lessons and stuff now. It's Jimmy Connors. I mean, you, his game has been on like every platform. So I mean, you might have come across it at one point.
0: No, I mean like actually uh, just of the guy, random. You know, you'd be watching TV and somebody'd have like a sports game on. I, I feel like I've seen him play, just like when the TV is half on, like, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was really big in the, the you know, 70s, 80s, 90s kind yeah. of thing, or early 90s, until he retired. So um, the guy's got um, a ton of games, so, you know. It wouldn't surprise me if, if I maybe caught
0: a match of his from, like, the early 90s. But right,
1: yeah. and this is one of those games, too, that actually has a, a, a tie-in with um, Jimmy Connors a lot, a lot more than other titles, right? So it's not just him on the title screen. Um, he actually... Um, it's his voice doing the speech and then he will um, uh, you could do like leveling up character things where you battle against other uh, players of the time I guess. Sure. Whatever. But yeah. it has got his uh, face. I think I think he's got like a mustache <laughs> the title and he's like his mouth moves and everything. it's pretty funny. Yeah. Anyways. Alright so moving on what do you got next for us? This is your last track right? This is my last track. This is another Super Nintendo game. This is a this
0: one totally never heard of before. It's from a fishing game. For Japanese only, called Shimono Masaki no Fishing Tobasing, or Bassing, I guess. Hmm. It is a fishing simulator with uh, Masaki Shimono, who I had never heard of and probably would never have heard of. So, the track we're going to hear, which I think is the end credits for the game, is called Shooting Stars. Shooting stars from Shimono Masaki no Fishing to ba- Bassing. Bassing, I guess. I guess. Like a subculture of fishing. Yeah, composed in 1994 for the Super Nintendo, developed by Natsume. And the composers listed are Iku Mizutani, Kinuyo Yamashita, and Shinya Kurahashi. No kidding. Really? Yeah. Some pretty, what? pretty notable names in there. Wait, what?
1: Yeah. <laughs> huh this episode gets the award for the strangest trumpet samples and like we've had like several tracks now that just have the most awkward I don't know it's it this track is awesome though. Man. I loved it. I, I, I totally loved it. I could not get through this episode without having to play it. Oh God, <laughs> so smooth. Oh So let me go through the composers real quick. Yeah, keep it light because yeah. um, I, we've talked about every one of them. In depth before, I'm sure. I'm just gonna bring up the 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 hits here. Iku Mizutani,
0: Metal Gear, Snatcher, Shatterhand, Kinuyo, Yamashita, Castlevania, Maze of Galleus, Mega Man X3, and Shinya Kurahashi, probably the least well known, Tetris Plus and Real Pro Baseball for the Game Boy
1: Color. Sure. Still, all-star cast. This is a fun try. Do you know if this was one of the I couldn't tell
0: who wrote what. There was another fishing game that uh, Yamashita was on where I could
1: tell it was clearly hers. But this one, I don't know who wrote it. Huh. Hmm. Well, I I mean, it doesn't matter. It's a cool track. I'm glad (laughs) you put this on here. We got some really loungy stuff. We had some really um, inappropriate sports music on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But altogether, it was a really fun episode. There's. Oh, wait, wait.
0: I want to give credit where credit is due to Masaki Shimono. Okay. Before we go on. Okay, okay, okay. So he's probably not that well known, but he's been a bass master since at least 1991 prior to the release a of the Bassmaster. Game. Oh, you know it. <laughs> That's a serious fish to catch. I I'm not I'm not <laughs> doubting his ability. I'm just saying like
1: it's That's dope, a title to
0: have. Prior to the release of the game, he had had about three top 50 finishes and competitions in fishing often have several hundred competitors. He's not the best of the best, but he's he's up there. He's pretty good. Huh. So I didn't have any other real information about him, but he still fishes sort of, I mean, he still fishes, I'm sure, but professionally,
1: I think a little bit here and there. You know, I guess I'm not surprised they made a game. I mean, angling, that's what the sport's called, right? Like is, has a, a very popular, um, Fan base in Japan, especially I think that they really love their fishing games there. So I could see this I mean it's a fishing culture in Japan for sure. Yeah, I could see this being a a big thing there
0: Yeah, uh, did you play the game at all is it? I I didn't play any of the games that I hadn't already played So I think I of my picks I think I'd only played one of the smash court tennis games a little bit here.
1: Oh, Okay I don't think it was this one though. I'd played one of the newer ones. Yeah, not a requirement like I only played it just because out of curiosity, but yeah, I had a lot of fun talking about some of these um, different sports titles that otherwise we wouldn't have, you know, done a a full featured episode on a lot of good stuff though. So I'm glad you, you had some really good tracks to bring to the table. I found some really awesome stuff, I think too. So it's good before we close it out. I think we're going to have a couple of runner-ups or little uh,
0: honorable mentions. We're not going to play any tracks, some of the sports games and athletic games that didn't make it onto the show, but had either really great music or interesting stories. Do you want to do two each or three just, each.
1: just just say them i say, mean all right like, i mean bo jackson for me was a big one you know like i think bo jackson tony hawk pro skater i like those a lot of licensed music there so it can't really do that sean was sean white snowboarding i think it was mostly licensed tracks. yeah mostly licensed stuff too i mean any any of those games larry bird yeah magic johnson had a few games right
0: yeah fast break I think yeah, that yeah, was yeah, it. yeah yeah <laughs> tim Fallon. uh check out o'leary manager 2000 the title screen for that one's pretty solid Kind of a classic C sixty four demo tune, Virtual Kasparov. Oh yeah, yeah. Those those are more laid back background tunes. But uh, just read up about Gary Kasparov. You might know him for having lost t- to Deep Blue in, uh, in the late nineties. The the supercomputer that was
2: oh yeah yeah
0: yeah 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 Mark Davis the fishing master similar composers to I, the I, last track
1: I almost played Mark Davis uh, a track from Mark Davis but I thought ah this is too this is too mainstream man <laughs> it's too mainstream <laughs> and
0: uh, actually Foreman for real had a few good tunes in there that I found no kidding yeah both the Super Nintendo and the Genesis versions although they're a little bit hard to find mm. I got another one uh, Wayne Gretzky hockey Haw- I found a couple there too but there's, there was too few, mainstream right there's, yeah <laughs>
1: there's, a, there's a few good tracks. In there, um some of it was kind of mean, but you know, it was good stuff. There's a lot of fun stuff to be found. I think with the uh, these sports franchises too. And there's a lot of stuff. The reason why we cover a lot of sports games on the show is because there's just a lot of love and care was put into the soundtracks, regardless of like how appropriate it would be for a sports title. And a lot of the the games are all about high action and keeping that intensity. So that's why a lot of the music is so. You know heart pounding and 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 really catches you and i think that's a a big thing for a lot of the konami sports titles too
0: yeah and what's uh, it's unfortunate but nowadays a lot of them are just licensed tracks and for obvious reasons we're not going to play those on our show so it's nice to be able to dig into this era of game music that maybe doesn't get as much attention right
1: Anyway, so I hope you guys enjoyed the episode today. Uh, Again, sorry it was a little bit delayed. And um, we kind of ended up doing an expansion pack instead of what we originally were scheduled to do. But I had a lot of fun going through these tracks. Same. Yeah, we found a lot of good stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to know more about the show, you can find us online at pixelatedaudio.com for show notes and track lists. Please join our Discord server. A lot of great chatter of just general love for game audio it's not specifically pixelated audio even though it's like the channel the server name but um it's the gamut of stuff there's a lot of really unique um personal compositions that people are posting in there and it's just it's a it's a fun crowd and i'm very um fortunate to be part of i'm a a big fan of the off topic channel where people post all sorts of random
0: stuff um right Right, right, right. Disco right. or a lot <laughs> yeah. of a lot of uh, ripping
1: tins in there. I think I end up starting that every couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or um, Electric Boogaloo always posts like Scatman stuff that always makes an appearance every <laughs> right now and then. But anyways, join the Discord if you want to support us. Um, Patreon is the best way to do it, or leave us a review on iTunes. You can go, um, uh, you know, in your podcast app and just. Click on, you know, a million stars and just tell us what you like or what you don't like. Um, you can also leave a comment on the website. Again, join the Discord server. If you want to listen to a couple of classic episodes with some sports titles, we got episode two all the way back, Pixel Kick and Soccer. Oh, man. Yeah. That, was, um, yeah. that was our second episode. That was uh, right around the um, World Cup in 2014. There was a lot of good tunes in there, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that's when I first discovered... Um, I want to say Tsubasa, the Tsubasa, Captain Tsubasa, Tsubasa, yeah. It was a great, great soundtrack.
0: I can't recommend this one enough, but episode 69,
1: Neo Turf Masters, such an amazing soundtrack. That was a fun one. That was a really fun one. And um, did we do any? I mean, we just did N64 Golf or 64DD. Uh, We did Japan Pro Golf Tour and Rackets and Rivals. Rackets and Rivals, yeah. That was a fun one. Anyways, and we'll probably do a ton more. I'm sure. In the future. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you back in a few weeks for our next episode.